and action. Hello out there to all our 34 Circe podcast. And cut. <laughs> Hello out there to all our 34 Circe Salon podcast listeners. I'm Don Sam Alden. And I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you so much for following this podcast and for your support for programs that explore the untold stories of female agency and adventure throughout history. This program is more than just something that we love doing, and we really deeply love it. It's also a mission for us. And we'd love for it to be a mission for you as well. So we've created an account on Patreon, a fundraising website, in order to help us fund the podcast and some other really great, really fun projects that we have planned. So if you're able, please go over to patreon.com slash 34 Circe and pledge your support. You can do a one-time donation or a monthly subscription. And any amount, even a dollar, helps fulfill the mission to help make matriarchy great again. So thank you for taking the time to listen to us in this exciting little commercial spot that we've given you. So <laughs> now on to the show. Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. And like all good epics, we begin in media ray as we are talking about this. Mm-hmm. The power. Hi, I'm Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Cersei Salon. Make Matriarchy Great Again. I'm getting it out fast because... <laughs> and I'm Don Sam Alden That's because why. we are, you know, Sean was talking about his impressions of the book and I told him, turn it on, turn it on. Let's record. Let's record because <laughs> we just cannot stop talking about this book. And, um, and it, uh, it how, is yeah, I believe you used the words haunting and immersive. Yeah, there's something about it I, that as I listened to the podcast we did, the first, uh, the power part one, I wanted us to really convey the fact that when, at least my experience of reading the book was that as I read it, I felt immersed in the world and I felt haunted by the world because it's so close to our world. It's so believable, conceivable in many ways that this change would be affected in women that would have this completely transformative um, development throughout the world in terms of the way we interact in terms of gender, the flip would happen. And it was, it's so believable. It's so slight and thereby believable that it becomes very, very just sort of like jarring. Yeah. Least, disconcerting. Dis disturbing. disturbing. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do let's, let's, right. Let's so how do we pick up? How do we yeah. pick up? Because we, we had said that we would start, by talking about the characters, but we obviously we should reset the clock, so reset the storyline, so people know what this story is about. So, if you wouldn't mind, Don, just giving them sort of a synopsis of what the power is, what it's about, and then we could start talking about the characters. And then mainly this part, we were going to talk about 
where it all goes wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, you know, how, yeah, again, as I joked, would some people think it's going, you know, it's, let's get yeah. into that. Yeah. Um, okay. um, so super quick, cause we're going to assume that y'all listened to the first part. And so, um, so this will be just a really quick review. The main characters are, um, Allie who becomes mother Eve, uh, Roxy, who is a, um, a, British gangster, uh, daughter of a gangster um, of Jewish descent, um, Margot, who is an American politician, um, and Tunde, who is um, a journalist, a freelance journalist, who at this point um, in our discussion has traveled all over the world to record and um, to uh, do both the visuals, uh, record video and take pictures and also do interviews in the countries where this rise of the power is, um, is completely uh, disrupting the, the, the country itself, the, the, um, the structure of the country itself. Um, later on, uh, we're coming into a section of the book where we'll hear more from Tatiana, who is... Um, the, I guess the queen, the empress, the, the ruler of a new country that's been formed called Besapara. And, um, it's been carved out of an area near Saudi Arabia that used to be, um, Moldova, I believe it is. No, that's the Black Sea. That's. that's yeah. Moldova. Around the Black Sea region. Yeah. So it's so, east, Eastern Europe, Romania, Bulgaria, that kind of area. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think, oh, I think what's confusing is there was the use of they talk and they contrast with Saudi Arabia, uh, yeah. what was going on with the use of the, the, the women troops, which we'll get into. Ah, okay. Uh, yes. And so, yes. yeah, best of power is off. Uh, it's, I think the idea is it's supposed to be like one of those Eastern European post communist countries. So yeah. one of those former Soviet bloc countries, and then she takes over in, uh, in that country and uses what we'll talk about, uses the power to, yeah to a very different end than we've been, than we had seen up until that point. Yeah. And we are moving towards the, the book is structured um, as a countdown towards um, what we, what we read in the introduction is called the cataclysm. And the cataclysm is apparently the complete destruction of civilization um, as, as we know it today, that essentially um we don't we don't quite know uh, until we get there, but essentially proves to be like a massive all-out nuclear and chemical war that basically bombs us all back to the Stone Age, and civilization has to begin again, um, and and work its way back up to where this book is written. So I think I think it's interesting too that uh, Naomi Ackerman takes these. Goes around places in the world. Alderman, sorry, Alderman goes around <laughs> the world and has these locations which are significant. You know, when you ask about where the Tatiana's uh, land was, you know, we talk about the Black Sea all exactly. the time. Yeah, we talk yeah. about that old Europe region, and she set this new hyper matriarchy in what was the old Europe that we talk about with Vicky. You know, that's just about right around the region where we talk about. We were talking about the different. Uh, excavations that uh, 
Rhea Gambuta said on Earth. Yeah. So it's interesting that she sets that there. So she has yeah. that. She has an American. She has a Brit. She has Tunde, who is from some country in Africa. Um, and he's Nigerian? Yes. I'm not, yeah. I shouldn't say yes. I mean, that sounds... Uh, sounds right, and it's it's fascinating. She so you so you get snapshots. You move across the world in this novel, um, and I just think let's get in, you know we'll get into it now. Let's talk about for me you know this dark side. Uh, I think I may have mentioned in the first podcast when when I've talked to buddies about the stuff that. I have been interested in exploring and doing, and then what we've been doing on this podcast, uh, most, almost everybody thinks it's cool and interesting, but there are, there will be a couple that will be like, what is that about? Why would you, why would you tell, talk about matriarchies and it's dangerous. And you know, what'll happen is if there, if a matriarchy were to come about, it's, they're going to flip everything and we're going to be, you know, we're going to be in danger, that sort of thing. And so it's interesting, you get in this book, both that kind of men's, men's activist movement in there, talking about the dangers of the power and how this matriarchy is going to be a danger yeah. in the book. And you get Tatiana's type of matriarchy as you start to descend. But is, I mean, that's not the only one that we see. We see other aspects of it in a lighter form. Let's call it the, like we talked about last time, the Western patriarchy is the patriarchy with a happy face. Isn't it great here? I think you get that kind of sensibility with the power as it develops in the U.S. And then you get that sort of dark side of it as it develops in this strange new country. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're both definitely. dark, but let's we'll go into it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we're starting about six years out, right? So the first half of the book is starts 10, it starts 10 years to go. Um, and then, uh, and, and now we're about six years out and we have in the book, we have a series of, um, of posts that, uh, that would have happened on, um, a, like a website, um, bulletin board type of thing. And it is all of the posts about, uh, you know, urban docks and, um, and the, uh, you know, all of the sort of conspiracy theories and trolls and all that sort of thing. I mean, she's directly parodying the sort of, you know, QAnon men's rights activist, um, 4chan dark web sort of thing that happens today. And uh, from that point on, um, things do start to get darker. Um, so, yeah, just to just to say, I'm trying to remember. It was 2017 that this came out, I think. So it's just after, just when these things are starting in the political sphere in the U.S. and the rest of the world. Because I think it's at the time, you know, Brexit's occurring. Trump is. 2016, so yeah. 2016, so it would have so been, yeah, it would have been year, yeah. written prior to Trump taking the presidency. Yeah. Um, so. But, uh, but, but he's he, certainly, that's when exactly. he's campaigning. Everything's and, happening. And Brexit yeah. is starting. And Brexit is happening about. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's um, interesting that she yeah. is really picking up on that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So let's, and, and again, in thinking about the last podcast, I'm just, I, hoping we can really weave and convey the sense you get when you listen to this. So you're talking about these 
QAnon, these kinds of boards that developed obviously a little bit after she wrote the book, but they were happening. They already existed. It's not like 2016 was another lifetime. Right, um, right, yeah. So, what? How so, did you feel about here? How how was your what was your take on the that aspect of it? Because I don't think I've ever asked you that. What's your take on these sort of the men's rights aspect in the book? Well, I think it's really interesting. You know, uh, jumping to uh, so so Urban Docs and his organization reaches out to Tunde because you know he's been he's a male voice that's documenting this change all around the world so he's a very you know sort of at this point a very well-known figure um and uh so urban docs reaches out to him and uh they have the interview that that tunda does because um urban docs first invites him to a mall and says you know just be there there's going to be some stuff that's going to go down. And so he sits around at this mall with a bunch of like fat old dudes, you know, drinking beer and, uh, you know, and, and the way that they're portrayed, you know, they're very much the sort of um, uh, just not the kind of source that you would consider to be any sort of a threat. They're just pissed off old um entitled dudes so he's like this is never going to happen and then a bomb goes off so the terrorism begins in the united states a bomb goes off he runs to the danger instead of away from it takes pictures and there's an incredibly um moving scene with a pregnant woman who's trapped under uh you know a concrete beam that has come down and he's trying to get her to calm down but she's freaking out and so um, she discharges her power and, you know, just collapses the entire section of the mall on top of herself. And it's a, you know, it's this horrible moving story that he covers. And because of his coverage of that, Urban Docs invites him to come for an in-person interview. And, um, you know, they do the whole thing. And it's from Tunda's point of view. So he's like, of course, we're going to meet in a parking mall. Um, a parking lot of a mall. Of course, they're going to put, a, you know, a, a hood over my head and drive me to a secret location. Of course, it's an underground bunker. You know, he's really, he's really sort of sarcastic about the whole thing and um, and knows what he's going to see. And you know, Naomi Alderman does a, a gorgeous job of taking existing conspiracy theory madness. Um, you know, about uh, as he's listening to the, as he's listening to the interview, you know, he's, Tunda is saying to himself, um, now we're going to tie it to the Jews. Yep, sure enough, there it is. Now we're going to tie it to, you know, underground forces in the government. Yep, sure enough, there it is. You know, so he's, um, this is, he's, he's scorning the messenger in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but the message is still powerful and, um, and it's so in many ways, it's so similar to what we already hear. Right. Um, urban doc says, uh, you know, um, 
that's how it starts, says Urban Docs. They, that's how they soften us up, make us weak, weak and afraid. That's how they have us where they want us. It's part of a plan. They're doing it because they've been told to. They want to kill us all. We're being ruled by fags who worship women. We need to cut them down. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's all like, this is all really familiar language to us these days. And so she's done this wonderful job of like weaving that into, um, weaving that into real events of horror you know taking taking this conspiracy theory mentality this white supremacist patriarchal mentality and giving it just enough reality just enough relation to actual events that um that it has the seductive power that it clearly has over our society today. Um, Yet what's interesting, though, is what they predict does begin to play out. That's We yes. see that in the dark side. So that's, I think what's interesting about that aspect is we can, we can sometimes be lulled into that, you know, sort of the tribalism we get into now of left and right and, and right and wrong. And, you know, we don't talk across those sides, but she seems to go through that and say, well, okay, let's take that notion. Let's take the notion that, you know, the, the, the person I know suggested to me, right. Let's take that notion and let's say what happens, what if, and that's, that's kind of what I really would think would just, is interesting to look at just in terms of, again, I was saying what at least I felt reading the book. And I think others probably would have that same sense of like you, as you get into there, you're like, Oh my God, this is actually unfurling. And, and, and I think what Alderman does so well is she shows you the sorts of dominoes that get tripped to yeah. lead to and the, and these the kinds best, of things. Yeah, yeah. And the best lies have elements of truth woven into them. Right. You know, you, you use just enough truth to justify the the you know the the conspiracies the madness but you know i mean urban doc says at the very beginning you know they're trying to kill us and tunda says who's trying to kill us the women aha uh-huh. tell me more about that yeah so you know they're trying to kill us all is is the rallying cry of urban docs and then when we get to the end of the book we'll see you know, the element of truth that's woven into the lie, right? Well, let's, let's look at, let's talk about maybe Tatiana about that. Again, the, the haunting part about the book is, again, we've heard, we've seen the QAnon voices, right? We've, we've seen all that uh, before. We've seen, you know, it still goes on now. There are, you know, it comes up every couple of years, two or three years, a new group of people with a new group of prophecies about mm-hmm. where political mm-hmm. culture is going. They have a different name. They take a different form. It's in some other way, but it's always there, right? Yeah. And so we hear about it. But this one is almost an eternal one, right? When we're talking about gender, when we're talking about the way men and women uh, interact in, throughout cultures. I mean, we, we have a series on the uh, misogyny in the ancient world, right? And we look at the things the Greeks said, look at the things the Romans said, look at the level of misogyny that was inherent in the Middle Ages, right? So it's this, so what I think makes this so much more unsettling is you have a setup in a book 
where there is something that tips what is quote unquote the balance of power, right? It tips the balance of power from being a male physical power. You and I have talked about this, the the difference in the fears. You you quote often the line, men are afraid that women will laugh at them, women are afraid men will kill them, right? Yeah. yeah. Now shift that. Now that shifts. And it shifts in a way that is very believable, yeah. you know, you, in the way they do it in this book. So you now have that playing out yeah. in this, right? You and have you that have, playing out. Yeah, you have the voice telling Allie, um, you can't be safe until you own the place, right? That, you know, Allie is, is afraid and, and has this legacy of abuse. And the voice tells her, the only way to be safe is if you own the place. And that, you know, the thing that, that's ironic is that is a very patriarchal viewpoint, right? How do you mean? Do Matriarchy you mean? says we all own the place and none of us own the place. And that's what makes us safe. We need to be interdependent on one another. Whereas patriarchy says if you want to be safe, you've got to dictate. You've got to be the dictator and everyone else you have to have power over instead of power with. Let me bring in a voice. I wish I could name these voices, but this is a woman I know whose belief is that balance requires a shift. And I'm, I'm just throwing this out because then these are the, the, the sensibilities that come up as I listen to, as I read this book and as we talk about it. She says, balance requires a shift. She says, the only way women are going to be, that culture is going to be able to balance in the way you just described, the matriarchal way, is if women shift the balance of power, they swing the pendulum back the other way. That you have to swing it back in order to get it to, to center. And I'm not asking you know you personally, Don, to to agree or disagree with it. I'm just putting out that viewpoint. So there yeah. there is a legitimate there is uh, there is well, a, yeah. a legitimate, mean, but there is a a an argument that that someone make that to bring the patri matriarchy into being, these matriarchal principles into being, you're going to need a shift. And that's what I think in this book is so... Well, that's, so yeah, yeah, that's also the other thing the voice says. You can't get there from here. I mean, I think you read the quote last time we were talking about, um, about uh, you know, the, the conversation that the voice has with Allie about how... Uh, you know, you want you want everything. Oh, hang on, let me find it. But Allie wants peace. Allie wants peace. Allie wants. Yeah. Well, while you, while you look, I'll just you know go on a little bit about. Yeah, keep keep just talking. just that just, again that notion. I think the thing is, human beings respond. Human beings in positions of abuse and positions of fear, there are different ways you can respond. There are different, there are different uh, ways which power can be reflected or changed. You know, there is, you, you could see the Gandhi or Nelson Mandela then the notions that, that have been about ethnicity or about colonialism, right? We see that there is this idea of you can, instead of saying, okay, now let's flip the script, let's simply go right to the balance. But gender is so unique for us as human beings. I mean, it crosses all groups, right? It crosses all, all different backgrounds, all different countries. It's, it's there and it's present and it's somehow present the same way in different places. It's just expressed sometimes differently. Again, I've been saying this little line about, you know, patriarchy with a happy face in the West, but you know, it's good to remember 
that it's only fairly recently that a lot of the oppressive aspects of patriarchy were lifted in the West. It's only very, very recently. It's in the lifetime of some cases, our parents or certainly our grandparents of women not being able to sign for something. I mean, that's in America. You have to have a man sign it for you. So it's important for people to remember that. History moves can move quickly at times. So it's been so that whole issue is everywhere. So when you look at it that way, the idea, I think why you have such an issue, why we all have such an issue about gender, why it's so intransigent in so many ways, it's that it is so basic and deep in culture. And so the anything that shifts it really shifts identity everywhere or shifts identity in each place very, very deeply and personally. You know, mm-hmm. with with sometimes with with race or colonialism, the idea of separate spheres can be accepted. They can go, okay, well, everybody's equal now, but I'm still king of my castle. I still go home and I'm king of my castle. And he'll be king of his castle. But if you flip it, then every castle gets flipped. And there are queens, not kings, in this kind of going to the extreme, right? So I think that's what separates it. It's a lot tougher, more personal, more deep. And that's why I think in reading it, it's, you know, something that is, is haunting, you know, it does, does, is electric to borrow, to play with the pun. So, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, I've been particularly, that's, you know, going to this dark, quote unquote, dark side. That's what I'd like to see if we can flesh out for people to listen to, because I think it, I'd love for the listeners to reach out and talk about if they've read it, if you guys have read it or you're going to read it or once you read it. To tell us what you think about her, her being uh, Naomi uh, Alderman's vision about how this power plays itself out in the long run. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's backlash, certainly. Susan Faludi wrote a book about it many decades ago. Um, and yeah, I mean, there is a certain. Oh, I, I thought she. I should say she wrote a book about. She had a backlash towards the power. I'm like, wow. No, I mi- no, I missed no. that. I really wish. I- <laughs> no, going back to uh, what your friend said about how you know we have to swing the pendulum far back the other way in order to come to a center. Um, you know, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I sound like I have really fascinating, and I do, but fascinating friends on all. You do, you absolutely. I have, do. I have friends on all ends of the spectrum. So I have one guy, one guy who's worried that you know women are going to take over, and then another one who just a woman who thinks that women need to take over completely. I need to right, put two of them right. in a room and just let's see what happens. No, let's uh, not. No, yeah. let's not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, it'd, be, it'd be a great, it'd be a great debate. Uh, see, this is the difference between you and me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We've talked about this. But. Um, I don't. I don't want to invoke bloodshed. And no, I don't think there will be bloodshed. I, but I do quite seriously do think people should of different. This is why I can, you know, I like to be able to think I can, you know, hopefully have sympathy for different points of view because I know them as people. I think once as we yeah, start to talk oh, to yeah. each other, it becomes a lot. And I get where you're coming from, believe me, I do understand. But I just think mm-hmm. it's. I would rather take the risk and I don't think there'd be bloodshed besides I think he'd lose the fight anyway but um I don't think there'd be bloodshed but um but it would then, be good, you to, know, it would be good Sean, to have the discussion you know? yeah yeah I mean I've just had I in my you know and again I think you know this is this is women and men live in the same world right next to uh, or in mm-hmm. different worlds right next to each other um 
you know, I've gotten into arguments like that before and, um, and, and it has never ended well. I've used Mm -hmm. all of my energy and I'm talking about things that, that impact me directly. Whereas the person that I'm talking to is talking about things that are, that are concepts that are theoretical, abstract, Mm -hmm. playing devil's advocate, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And that's not a fair argument. And it, 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 you know, the other person may, may come away with it feeling like, oh, well, you know, I made some good points. It was a good little, it was a good debate. And I come away with it feeling like I've been beaten with a bag of doorknobs. So it's, you know, it's, it's I know, just, I, I appreciate it. No, I appreciate yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I have a different, just because of the kind of people I know, I have a different experience with those different points of view. And I'm not saying just as a man, just because I understand, I do hear what you're saying about we do live in, we have a different interaction in the world, although it can be crazy with two guys, but not yeah. anyone that I know. Um, but I yeah. think if we can facilitate this, in some way and to just bring it back to where you know this this power it is interesting because as you bring that up this idea of we live in two different worlds there are different dangers there are different sense the power as a male puts you in that reversal it gives you that sense i think she does it really well of of having that flipped right not yeah. you know there is you can be cavalier as a guy in terms of wanting to we've talked about this in terms of wanting to something that seems more on the edge or something that seems more uh, confrontational, you know, a willingness to see where that will lead and what that might change. Because as you point out, the dangers are not there in the same way. And to read this book is to have that danger there in the same way to really sense it. I don't know how she does it. And I couldn't, I mean, as a writer, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but she does it in such a way that you do have the sense the table is turned and you're in it and yeah. you're there and you're experiencing yeah. it. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, it's a, I get that feeling, but it hits me completely differently because there is a sense, you know, whereas you reading it as a dude, mm-hmm. you get the sense of having your power stripped from you. Mm-hmm. And whereas I'm reading it as a woman and thinking and feeling like I am, entering into a world where the power is being given to me and it's 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 heady it's really heady i mean it's 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 gleeful it's it's giddy um but it's also uh you know there as we say there is this dark side that we're entering into well i want to say i want to be before go because i did write down your quote about giddiness and i also want to point out what i think maybe why it, it lands differently the way she writes it so you have the quote get of course someone just decides to fall on their car horn as we're talking (laughs) giddiness and exhilaration uh during the rise to power and the giddiness is still there when it turns dark this is a don sam alden sort of quote (laughs) exactly uh the uh the the ones for whom the world was built you talked about that so before so let's talk about that but i think the other thing that i think that works with this book and we've talked about this we've talked about what i see as faux aggressivism in terms of filmmaking and tv making and i think she being amy alderman takes the because she's using people of different backgrounds around the world and she's not keeping it sanitized and safe to make 
the man, quote unquote, comfortable. She's just literally saying, I'm going to take this where it will go. Your power doesn't matter at all in this universe. Now, of course, when the TV series gets made, I fully suspect that will be undone. But in the book well, itself, uh, I'm, I'm just going to suspect. I'm not going to say it will be. I'm saying I yeah. suspect it will be. All right. I'm going to. I'm going to push back on that because what happens in the second half of the book is that man's power does still matter and some bad things start to happen because this backlash starts to gain traction, starts to. Um, oh, you, I think you misinterpreted that. I don't mean oh. in the book. I mean, you mean she's saying to the man in the real world, uh. all of us out here, your power doesn't matter. I'm writing the story the way I want. You know what I'm talking about when Got people it. make films they're still making a film so that the guy who signs the check isn't doesn't feel threatened. Exactly. You know, it's like, look, you look how progressive you are. You signed a check for this, and you're still the hero. Okay? Yay! You know that kind of crap. Yeah. Whereas exactly. in the book, she's just like, I don't care. This is what's this is what is, which is why I'm saying I I, I worry that in the series and for the listener, there's going to be a TV series that in the series they'll just weave their little you know softening mechanisms into it, mm -hmm. but. Um, Okay, so let's talk about your Gideon's exhilaration. So why you so you're still giddy when we go to this this dark side, Dom. What is what is your anger? No, I'm kidding. What if, <laughs> we go to the dark side? Talk about this giddiness because I thought that quote was really interesting when I listened to last our last discussion that there's a giddiness for you. So maybe I'd like to hear more about the giddiness and then also I don't I don't I don't you. honestly know what else to say about it except that okay. that's what it is. You know, you just, I mean. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a giddiness to seeing women being in charge. Okay, it's it's something we see so rarely, and um, we've you know as as most women out there, most people who identify as women out there have been the victims of oppression and um, have been the victims of you know vi often violence and assault, mm -hmm. and to see the tables turn. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a giddiness there. There's a, um, is, is it different than other stuff? I mean, obviously you haven't found anything else like this in literature. If I understand from the last time we talked and the many times we've talked, this is one of the few dystopian sci-fi. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not the only one, if I'm not mistaken, right. That you found. The only one that I found dystopian future sci-fi that puts, uh, this, the victims of the dystopia as the men, as opposed to the women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, okay, well, what, let's just keep okay, going. Okay, so let's, the, yeah, let's, mm -hmm. so, so stuff starts to go down. Uh, Roxy finds out that, um, Roxy finds out that the scene that we talked about that opens the book where her mother is murdered by her, you know, by thugs to get at her father, we find out that uh, that scene actually was completely different. It was actually her father ordered her mother killed um and she finds that out and she goes to get her revenge and um and she decides not to she just tells him that he needs to retire um so rather than uh sort of continuing this blood for blood for blood for blood um endlessly stretching out till the end of time um she decides to change the paradigm and she basically says you're done I'm taking over now. Um, that comes back to bite her in the ass. Um, 
But then another horrible thing happens, and that is that her brother, her older brother, who was, you know, uh, running the the British arm of their international uh, organization. Um, and if we didn't put it at the beginning of the book, um, uh, excuse me, if we didn't put it at the beginning of this talk, let me just say content warning, we're going to be talking about rape. Um, her brother is, is gang raped by three women. And, uh, and uh, she gets called in to deal with it because her brother does not want her father to know what really happened. So there's shame now that is tied in um, to all of this and shame of, you know, being in this very masculine world that Roxy comes from, not being able to, you know, not only being able to, um, to, con to fight off three women, which before the power happened would have been a piece of cake for, uh, for, uh, for her brother. But, um, but also the, the shame of having it been a sexual crime. And she says, mm -hmm. she says something that I just wanted to, to highlight. Um, she can't comfort her brother. She can't like hold him and let him cry um, because you quote, you can't be the one that hurts and the one that comforts, end quote. So she realizes that if women did this horrible thing to him, that she as a woman, the only way that she can comfort him is to get revenge for him. That's an incredible insight. I wanted to ask you about this. I, you know, how we were going to deal with the, the sexual power in this book, um, yeah. the, the reversal, because I mean, there's, it's, there's, there are a lot of easy roads to go down about it. Um, but it, I think it is interesting because for, so you talk about this as a case where a guy gets raped, you know, look, uh, as a guy, guys will, you know, it's the kind of thing where guys will say that's, you know, a sexual advance by a woman is not something that most guys you'll ever hear. You know, most guys will not talk about as a problem. You know, it's, it becomes kind of a joke. It's like, it's something you would want. You'd encourage, you'd even encourage that sort of, you know, three, four five, whatever. Yeah. What's interesting that happens in this book. And it's really interesting as a guy to read it because it's now, it's not, uh, I mean, you would point out, you know, because of the power dynamic that, like you said, the three women, going at one guy as a guy just like hey you welcome that or something right you're not afraid of it if you don't welcome it you're not afraid of it either right but in the power scheme in this world of this power you now have it such that it is a danger particularly if you know it were unwelcome you know it's so i mean maybe that sounds very obvious perhaps to maybe most to most women listening but for men it's like just not something that you really think about in terms of a woman making an advance on you yeah, it, absolutely. It, it shows I mean, up there, but it also shows up in Tundi. I think I mentioned this to you before. Yeah. Tundi is getting picked up by Margot, the American politician. You know, she's coming yeah. at him and you read that and it's you, whereas that might seem like, you know, the hot politician or something in, in our regular world context. And, you know, why wouldn't this young guy like this? It's very different in this book. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. fascinating, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had, I've had guys say to me, you know, joking, but also serious, you know, like I would love it if women would objectify me, you know, it's like, that is completely missing the point. 
you can joke about it because you don't have to worry about the dark undertones of men objectifying women, you know, whereas in this world, it is exposed for the danger and the threat that it is, which is really, you know, it sounds like from what you're saying that that is really hitting home for you. It hits home. I think I it would, I would really like, I don't know how I would do this with these guys. I would really like some guys I know to read this book just to see what their reaction would be. Um, because I wonder if they'd have the same reaction. I mean, I may be attuned to something, that um, you know, maybe somebody else might not even pay any attention to, um, but yeah, it does. It, it hits home in the sense of you you realize the difference in the power imbalance, right? You realize that what happens now that might be funny could now be dangerous in a in a very different way, right? Yeah, in a very way that's unwelcome, and um, unwelcomed is very different for a guy in this world, obviously. Because it's unwelcome and you're like, just, you know, go away. You're not worried about walking home afterwards or something like that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the power yeah. you would be. And so, and in, in with that power imbalance too, I think it's interesting with Tunde and Margot, even though it's not a physical threat, there it's a, now it's a world in which he doesn't have any other kind of real currency other than his body, so to speak, right? That's and his wits. Real. His wits, right. But it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's wits in the service of, you know, he could have wits, but not be as appealing and it might not work as well, right? So he has this, it's it's reversing what we were like, you know, in Mad Men days and, you know, to today as well. Yeah. But so it's interesting to see that imbalance and how that even as a reader you read and you're like, wow, this is really different. Now you don't have a lot of options if you say no to her in his case. He doesn't, he's, he's blocking off some pathways and it starts you thinking about young women in today's world with, you know, the old politician, the old CEO and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to my world. Mm-hmm. So uh, then there's a break in at the North Star camp. We're back to Jocelyn, who is Margot's daughter and who has been healed by Eve uh, quote unquote, because we talked about how Eve's control, Mother Eve's control of the power allows her to to do some hands on healing. And um, so, did, did you say what the North Star Camp was again? The Maybe North Star Camp people. is the training camps for young girls. It's essentially army camps where uh, where women use learn to use the power in a military capacity. And this is something that Margot. Um, encouraged to be set up it was her brainchild and you know it it's also it's also a way to for society to put these women some these young women somewhere where they're not out you know trying to figure out how to use their powers on the streets right so it's a it's kind of a win-win situation it it uh teaches the the young women how to use their power it creates a fighting force uh, with this new power, and also it uh, it gets it concentrates the women in a place where they're not, you know, out roaming the streets using their power for fun. Sounds um, a lot like uh, how we deal with young men in the modern world, or, or how we've always dealt with young men, just yeah, the modern exactly. world. It's, 
That's what, that's what armies are about. Yeah, that's what armies are for, right? Um, they're win-win-win situations. Um, so, and and I'm I'm in, injecting a healthy dose of sarcasm into that last sentence, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Jocelyn is at this North Star training camp, and a, a small group of terrorists, of male terrorists, try to. Um, try to sabotage the place they break in and they make for the power generator and they try to shut it down and um and it's a it's a clusterfuck um you know one of the guys has a bat and brains one of the women before she can use her power there's blood there's violence there are people lying on the ground screaming she gets attacked and um but finally um they overcome these terrorists and uh there's one guy that's still well, not standing, but kneeling. But um, so there, there are these three young women, young soldiers who have just seen one of their own die in front of them. And, um, and they're like, you know, just kill him, just kill him. Come on, Jocelyn, do it, do it. And, um, and at first she doesn't want to, um, but then she has something to prove because, you know, all this time her power has been really, um, she doesn't quite have control over it. Right. She doesn't, her, there's her skein is not, is a little bit tricky and sometimes she has too much power and sometimes she doesn't have any power. So, um, so she, she wants to prove her womanhood. She wants to prove herself to these other two, uh, women. And, um, and she means to just zap him, just give him pain. Um, but her power, flares uh because she's so upset with what she's just been through and she winds up killing him him in an incredibly gory way um but this you know as they're as they're discussing what to do with this terrorist uh there's a wonderful there's a wonderful line uh where the boy on the floor whispers please like they do. I mean, it's just a brilliant line. Yeah, I remember that. That actually is an amazing, amazing yeah. line. Yeah, because, you know, when you have no power, all you can do is plead for mercy. And you know, there is pointing, no mercy coming. Pointing that out is, again, it's another one of those touches. I think these are the kinds of things that when you read this book, she does it in a way, she doesn't, you know, the, the author, Naomi Elderman, does it in a, such a way that it's not, she's not saying, look, 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 this is what I'm doing. It's yeah. just a light little touch there. Yeah, these little touches. Throws yeah. you, yeah. Yeah. So um, so then we switch over to Bessapara, and we stay in Bessapara for a good for the majority of the rest of the book, because that's where that's where it's all going down. Um, and uh, Tatiana holds a um, a huge reception and dinner, and she invites and all of our players are are you know come together finally so she invites Margot, roxy mother eve and tunda um so they all are at this reception and uh and eve and uh mother eve and tatiana form an alliance because eve has basically um you know eve has become world famous um she's become very much a a, a new prophet and she legitimates legitimates the goddess religion, 
that Besapara um, considers one of its foundational principles, right? Besapara mm-hmm. is founded on the goddess, the resurgence of the goddess. And that's, um, they indicate that with the eye in the palm of the hand. And uh, Mother Eve basically says that her, her god is their goddess, that all the gods are one god and we call them all she. And she gets the tattoo of the eye on her palms to indicate her solidarity. So she is legitimating Tatiana's government, which is what Tatiana was hoping for. So they form an alliance. Um, Margot has a meeting with Tatiana that evening. Um, John, can I just ask you to yeah. say a little more about Tatiana? I don't think we do. I, I don't think we've said a lot about her. So maybe just a little bit, just of her background. You oh know, yeah, the fact that, yeah. Just so, just so we have a sense, so the listener yeah. has a sense of who this woman is. She's the wife of the former dictator of Moldova, I think it's called. I want to say um, that becomes Besapara, um, and uh, you know she was um, an actress. Uh, so basically, she's a trophy wife of this old man dictator. And as the world turned, um, and uh, and the women started to take over in that area of the world, um, her husband mysteriously suffers a heart attack, and she takes over the country. Do, do you not think that there is some gleeful, playful um, sense that she's a little bit of Melania? Oh God. Maybe I mean, it's yeah. a, no, I, but it, but just yeah. but if you play with it, I get I get the the reaction one might have. But think about the idea of yeah, Melania suddenly having the power, right? Yeah, yeah, you know that kind of oh, shift. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? There's what, no doubt she'd be taken over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because I think that's the thing was also interesting for the reader and maybe for the listener to hear this because that's the kind of thing, the little kind of touch. That yeah. makes it because they describe her as being, you know, like she said, it's a beautiful. I think she was, she said a model, an actress, a model, and so she was this, you know, exactly. And she she's tried the trophy. To, she wanted yeah. to be a singer for a while, so she was clearly, you know, clearly a decorative woman in this, and it, uh, and 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 not trained to run a country. <laughs> and and it's in that part of the world too. Interestingly enough, it's Eastern Europe, so it's yeah. it fits a lot. I I didn't think about it until recently but it fits a lot of aspects of what this character would be like yeah. if you were to, if you were to really cast it well and be you know playful about it uh that's that would be the interesting yeah. choice and she's okay. um she is definitely playing the part right so margot goes to have a meeting with her and from margot's point of view she says tatiana moskalev is no kidding sitting on an actual throne when Margot walks in. A huge gold thing with lion's heads on the arms and a red velvet cushion. Margot manages not to smile. The president of Besapara is wearing an enormous white fur coat with a gold dress underneath. She has a ring on each finger and two on each thumb. It's what she learned. It's like she learned what a president ought to look like from watching too many mafia movies. Uh, so the door closes behind Margot. They're alone together. The snake meets the tiger, Margot thinks. The jackal greets the scorpion. So yeah. there's this, this wonderful dance of the two of them because now they are um, 
they are the power, right? The two of them are the power. And Tatiana wants something from Margot, and Margot can benefit from an alliance with Tatiana. So they they start their negotiations. And basically what happens is um, Tatiana asks Margot's permission for humans, human rights offenses. She mm-hmm. basically says, if you want this country to succeed, I'm going to have to do some ugly things in the coming months and years. And, uh, you know, do I have your help in allowing those things to sort of stay under the radar? Again, another amazing touch, because that's that's certainly the conversation we look at, how our leaders, again, going back to the last uh, presidency, so the last administration, the idea that you would talk to, and I think about Hungary and different places in Eastern Europe now where they're going through this sort of human rights issue, strong man, totalitarian kind of stuff, uh, and how we dance with them and how we did that, particularly um, and I wouldn't, you know, again, I wouldn't doubt we're still doing it. I don't think oh, yeah. we can I live mean, this fantasy that some new administration is all that different right now. You know, I think we, we play that way about around the world. You can't get there from here, right? Mm-hmm. She, these, these women have grown up in these power structures and the only way they know how to run the world is the way the run the world has been run by men mother eve is the in the book i see mother eve as the only one who has a different vision for the world she really wants the world to be different Hmm. um and i I agree with that although i I might push back a little bit about that's the only way again the argument of the friend that i know of is that it isn't that the idea of, of the shift means you you only know the way to do it the way the patriarchy did it. The shift is, from her standpoint, I think, realpolitik, that you'd have to do that. And that's what I get in the sense yeah. of the book, and maybe you get something different, but I get the sense of the book that the idea that the only way, and I think they say this towards the end, the only way to get it to start is like, you know, to, to burn it all down, or how did they put it, to do, to destroy it. Uh, it has you have to destroy it all and start from scratch. Am I putting it right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I and, mean, and, and that's why I think that's where I think they're going with it. I've often yeah. said said to people about the the men in power is that I've used the Game of Thrones reference. They burn down the world so long as they could be king of the ash. Yeah. They don't care. They'll yeah. let it all burn so yeah. long as they'll still be in charge. And I think that's at least my interpretation. I don't think it's just that they don't know a different way. I think that. They think that well, is the only way, but I'm not also, saying it's right. You know. Yeah, yeah, and there is also an element of vengeance. I mean, at this at this party, we have that incredible scene where um, where the you know she is Tatiana is flanked by uh, by really pretty servants and bodyguards, right? Men that are dressed in skin tight clothing and. And they're not allowed to speak unless they're spoken to, you know, unless they're directly asked a question, that sort of thing. And there's this whole thing with the bottle of of uh, of wine, right? Where um, where the young uh, one of her young uh, men, you know, brings her a bottle of wine and um, and says, "Is this the one you wanted, madam?" And she's like, "Did I tell you to talk?" 
And she says, just like a man, does not know how to be silent, thinks we always want to hear what he has to say, always talking, 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 interrupting his betters. Needs to be taught some manners, says one of the women standing behind Allie, one of those who run the group seeking justice for old crimes. Tatiana plucks the bottle of brandy from the young man's hands, hold it in front of his face. This bottle is worth more than you, she says. A glass of this is worth more than you. So she drops it on the floor. It smashes. And then she, she says, lick it up. The young man looks down at the shattered bottle. There are glass fragments amongst, among the brandy. He looks around at the watching faces. He kneels down and begins to tongue the floor, delicately working his way around the pieces of glass. One of the older women calls out, get your face into it. So, and we see later in, when, when we're seeing this same scene from Tunda's point of view, we later see this young man in the kitchen as they um, are picking the pieces of glass out of his throat. And, uh, and yeah, so he he licks up the wine and the pieces of glass, and um, the young man's mouth has blood at the tip. Tatiana starts to laugh. Oh, for God's sake, she says, get a broom and mop it up. You're repulsive. The young man scrambles to his feet. The crystal glasses are filled with champagne again. The music can once more be heard. Can you believe he did it, says Tatiana, after he's run off to fetch a broom? So it's this horrendous power you know, this, this abusive power has now been put in women's hands. And some of the women, Tatiana included, are more than happy to use it in the same abusive way against men, that men in that region, you know, within the last decade have used it against women. That's the, you know, the thing, the, the part of, I think, what makes Besapara such a violent place is that Within the last decade, within the last five years, it was an incredibly violent place towards women. And we have coming up, we have that incredible scene in um, in the woods of Besapara when uh, Tunde and Roxy are on the run. And um, and uh, there is this cult of the women who in that area, when they first started to get the power, the women who were um, who were being held as sex slaves, who were being trafficked. Um, the, the men who were trafficking them, as soon as they got the power, they put out their eyes so that they couldn't, they couldn't fight back, essentially. So there are these, these women that have become the focus of this weird forest cult and the priestesses are these women who have had their who had their eyes put out um, by the men who were trafficking them, and uh, and it's just I mean it's just this horrendous cycle of violence that just keeps continuing. Only this time, the women are on top. They can't they can't yet. You know, as as your friend said, like the pendulum is swinging back the other way. Mother Eve's gentle transition of the world um, is not going to happen until this rage and this quest for vengeance has burned itself out. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 
astonishing to read because you do get it when you the, the little touches of the 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 boys in the kitchen and Tunda reading it. So you just the sense that there's nothing they can do. They have no power over it. And so and because the idea of the power of this electrical power is believable, is simple, it's doesn't seem fantastical in any way that would make you go, oh, I don't know if I can buy this or or why wouldn't this happen? Because yeah. of that, you get how there is nothing that these guys can do. And that's just what they're well, they're trapped with. So Yeah, but, the last but, mm-hmm. Yeah, the last sort of gasp of 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 men before they go under. You know, so we're beginning to see that this violence is turning against men, just as, you know, in some ways, frighteningly, as Urban Docs said it would, right? That that women are fighting back and they are they are getting drunk on their power. And they are um, beginning to just victimize men the way that they were victimized. And so there is this last, in the book, there is this last gasp of male power, and it manifests itself in a couple of ways. Um, The attack on Roxy, which is freaking heartbreaking. So her father, who she allowed to live... And Daryl, her youngest brother, who is a, basically a, a, a useless nebbish, you know, he's just not, he doesn't have what it takes to run an international crime organization. Roxy does, but her father cannot let the women win. He can't do it. He says at one point when he's talking with Daryl later, we're just bringing things back to the way they're supposed to be, right? So what he does is he kidnaps his own daughter. And he has had a secret, he's had a secret laboratory in the woods of Besapara. And they have been experimenting on women. They've been capturing women and they've been trying to figure out how to do a skein transplant from a woman to a man. So they couldn't cure the skeins in women. So they're going to try to figure out how to steal that power for men. And they have mutilated and killed a bunch of women. And now they've finally figured out how they think they can do it successfully, even though, you know, 60% of the women still die after their skein is removed. And her own father has her kidnapped, sedated, and has her skein removed from her and transplanted onto Daryl. And the scene where this happens is, it's like, four pages long and it is described from Roxy's point of view in detail. And it is horrifying. It I is. Remember, I remember you were, you were really jarred re- by this. Yeah. So what, it's can, really can you, hard. Well, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it is very similar in many ways to reading a graphic description of someone's gang rape. I mean, that's really what is happening. Her f- well, own father. Her own father. I was going to say, right. Is or you know, I guess for men, it would be think of it as like four page description of a graphic castration. Mm. That's a actually a great analogy in this case, uh, uh, because it's and it's an it's actually it's an amazing analogy because throughout the book, I think that notion is played with that this 
the skein is like a man's manhood, so to speak, right? And so when, when the women who don't have it or don't have it as strongly, because we talked about that with Jocelyn, I think, in, in an earlier point in the book, yeah. uh, it's as if they're not really a woman. You yes. know, they're not a full woman. They don't have full power. And Roxy, when she loses it, does loses her sense of womanhood, quote unquote, which is power in this universe. Yeah, she has she has all of her power stripped from her. And uh, and that is simultaneously like a rape and a castration. Because it is it is forcefully stripped from her and given to her brother by her father. I mean, it is such a phenomenal betrayal. It is utterly heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. And later, you know, we see a little bit from Daryl's point of view when, um, when, you know, spoiler alert, when he is killed um, by a group of women who have seen what has happened and have, have said, basically, no, no, that's not going to happen. And so well, they, I think it's I think it's even more you know, just incredible because it's they it's so, not that they even saw that the, the actual thing go down. They saw that right. he had a woman's power. Right. And how often have we read? We talk about the ancient world about the the way men respond to the idea of a woman taking their power. Right. So the idea of the ancient world, like yeah. how dare she do? So it's really great. Again, another really brilliant touch in this book. Yeah. That they look at that and say, "Well, that man shouldn't have that." It's a really, it's yeah. And they uh, and they they tear him to pieces with their hands. They literally dismember him with their hands. I mean, it is it is like the Maynads. It I was is, about to say it's yeah. exactly the Bakai. It is yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it is just they are you know they are they are mad with rage and they just rip him to pieces which you know eventually turns out to be the death blow for Allie because she was hoping you know she recovers it takes her three days where she is um you know gravely ill and could possibly die but she manages to pull through and the thing that keeps her going is that she's going to get it back right like if if you could oh, you, do, you mean Roxy? You mean Roxy, Roxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that if you can do a, a an operation to take her skein and implant it in someone else, then you can do the same thing backwards, right? Like mm-hmm. she wants to get her skein back from Daryl, and it's only when she sees the grizzled remains of what had once been her skein that she realizes it's gone forever, and. Um, and that you know, and then there's that beautiful scene where she and Tunda come together as you know two people who have known power and had it taken from them. Um, they find each other and and are able to comfort each other, right? Because, mm-hmm. as you know, we said earlier in the book, the the person who hurts, the the you can't be the one that hurts and the one that comforts, right? So they are able to find each other. And comfort each other as people who have, have had everything taken away from them. It's it's also interesting with the two of them is that Roxy becomes his protection yes. in that world. You know, he is yeah. he needs he needs the protection of a woman. He needs to be accompanied by a woman to yeah, get so through. Tani, yeah, so Tatiana puts out these laws. What she was asking for permission from Margot to do, she does. She puts out laws on Bessapara 
that essentially strip men of any of their agency. They can't, um, they have to have papers stamped with a female guardian. Um, they have to have an official female guardian and they have to carry papers stamped with the name of that female guardian. They can't, uh, they're not allowed to, to move unaccompanied unless they have a note from their female guardian saying so. Um, they have to register and, and if they don't have a female guardian, they have to register and they will be assigned a work detail. So they essentially become wards of the state and any man who breaks the laws is killed subject to capital punishment. They can't, uh, they can't drive. They can't take money out of the country. They're no longer permitted to own businesses. They're not permitted to gather together, even in the home, in groups larger than three without a woman present. They're not permitted to vote. I mean, it's everything, I hate to say this, but it is everything that is happening in Afghanistan right now to women. And, and in the other places in the world as well. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. But the idea of having the power taken from you, you know, for 10 years, oh, women true, have exactly. had it better in Afghanistan. And now with the return of the Taliban, everything is being stripped from them once more. Right, even longer. There's a generation that's grown up not knowing that kind of world before when there was yeah. a Taliban. And now they're suddenly... That's a whole other podcast. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. So okay. So we're we're coming to the end. Um, so yeah. So we're coming to the end here, and we're oh, oof, we're over an hour. Okay. Yeah. So, so Allie, Mother Eve, sees what Tatiana's doing and decides, okay, I can stop this. Still, I can still save this, and using her power, um, with the benediction of the voice, she controls Mother Eve. Uh, she controls Tatiana. And makes her slit her own throat. And Mother Eve, before this, has gotten Tatiana to sign a document that says if she, if something happens to her, that Mother Eve will be the new ruler of the country. So she establishes succession. And so Mother Eve takes over Besapara. And she thinks, okay, so now that the crazy woman is out of the way, we can make this work, right? I can make this happen. Well, Roxy has realized that you can't get there from here, right? She's gone through the backlash of violence from the male world, and she's realized you can't get there from here. Um, Margot is about to realize you can't get there from here because the, the act that precedes the women tearing Daryl apart is Jocelyn, Margot's daughter, has been poking around in Besapara trying to find out what's going on. And she has stumbled across that secret laboratory where they've been kidnapping and dissecting the women and also have been distributing drugs. Um, so she stumbles across it. Daryl goes out as a test of his new powers. They have a one-on-one -on -one fight. So they battle using their power. And at a critical moment, Jocelyn's power fails. And Daryl doesn't quite kill her. She survives, but she's essentially, she's a vegetable. So Jocelyn and Margot, through the knowledge of Jocelyn's um, near death, 
realizes that men are going are not going to give up the power peacefully, right? You can't get there from here. That's yeah, that's the the balance requires a shift kind of thing. Or or yeah. like I was saying, you know, king of the ash. Rather yeah, burn exactly. it down than exactly. give it away. And then so the last remaining person, um Atunda knows this because of course, you know, he's been on uh the receiving end. And uh, she has this wonderful thing about Roxy Monk and how Tunda makes her realize who she was. And he has this, you know, uh, this wonderful thing about when he's trying to get her to protect him. He's like, okay, okay, what, what, what it, was it that I learned? A fragment of something he read a long time ago floats through his mind. A flattering looking glass. He has to be a flattering mirror for her, reflecting her at twice her ordinary size, making her seem to herself to be strong enough to do this thing he needs her to do. So he uses that when he first meets her to make himself safe. He uses the the power of flattery, and he uses this psychological trick of influence um, to make himself safe. But he has realized that he's not going to be safe in this world. You can't get there from here, right? He's going to be a perpetual victim. And it's it's what you've talked about and we've both talked about with stories that we want to do. So we want to do the stories where it's not just the woman influencing the man to do something. But yet here we have it reversed, and that's again uh, another subtle, amazing device that yeah. the author uses. It's you know yeah. he's got to be the flatterer, he's got to reflect her well, and he needs her. He has to yeah. get his influence through. And then we have an omniscient narrator section. So up until this point, you know everything has been um, from the point of view of one of the characters, but then the omniscient narrator st- steps in at the point where. We are at the end. We start a we start the last series of chapters, which are titled Here It Comes. So tick, 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 boom, right? Thing these things are all happening at once. These things are one thing. They are the inevitable result of all that went before. The power seeks its outlet. These things have happened before. They will happen again. These things are always happening. The earth is filled with violence, and every living thing has lost its way. Um, so this is when Allie and the voice have that discussion. Allie says, the world is trying to go back to its former shape. Everything we've done is not enough. There are still men with money and influence who can shape things to their will, even if we went against the North. What are we starting here? The voice says, you want the whole world turned upside down. Allie says, yes. The voice says, I feel you, but I don't know how to be any clearer about this. You can't get there from here. You'll have to start again. We'll have to begin again with the whole thing. Allie says in her heart, a great flood. The voice says, I mean, that's one way to handle it. So Allie, who is still holding on to this idea that she can make the world go through a peaceful transition, she finds out that her, the, the, the wife of the couple that that were her final abusers she finds out that this woman is running a is running a new foster home right so she hasn't stopped being a foster mother when her husband was murdered she's married someone else and with her new husband 
they're running a foster home. And she calls her because she wants to find out um, what's going on there, right? So she calls her and the, the former foster mother basically says that she is continuing to do the same thing that they did to Allie, which is using sexual violence to transform wild girls into good women. I mean, it worked for Allie, right? Like Allie's rise to power is vindication for this crazy woman that every, all the abuse that they did to Allie and are still perpetrating on young foster girls was the right thing to do. So this just blows Allie's mind because she realizes that women can be just as horrible to other women as men are. And it's at that moment that she realizes, you know, she says to Roxy, you were the strongest one I ever knew, she says, and even you have been brought low. So she realizes that you can't get there from here. Margot realizes with the, you know, mutilation and near death of her daughter, there's a wonderful line where there's a voice in Margot's head. It says, you can't get there from here. And Margot thinks to herself, burn it all down. So something has started. uh, So then the omniscient narrator jumps back in. There is a thought in those days. It is that 5,000 years is not a very long time. Something has been started now that must find its conclusion. When a person has taken a wrong turn, must she not retrace her steps? Is that not wise? After all, we've done it before. We can do it again. Different this time. Better this time. Dismantle the old house and begin again. When the historians talk of this moment, they talk about tensions and global instability. They posit the resurgence of old structures and the inflexibility of existing belief patterns. Power has her ways. She acts on people and people act on her. When does power exist? Only in the moment it is exercised. To a woman with a skein, everything looks like a fight. Urban Docks says, do it. Margot says, do it. Awadi Atif says, do it. Mother Eve says, do it. And can you call back the lightning or does it return to your hand? So uh, so Mother Eve, who is now the ruler of Besapara and has access to nuclear weapons, we are assuming is the one who triggers the cataclysm. And then so, we, yeah, do you want to go ahead? You want to say, no, before we get to the epilogue, do you want to say something? Yeah, no, I, I just, I, we're, we're at that, that moment at that point. And again, it's, I have the, the king of the ash phrase is something I've thought a lot about. Yeah. And, and for me, I've thought about it, particularly over this pandemic time. I've, it's where we've had such a disruption in world culture, economy, living, yet those in power have gotten even more power, even wealthier. The yeah. gap between those who have and those who don't have is even greater than ever. And even as, and I'm repeating this 
drum again, even as we are supposedly had a flowering of consciousness, I just looked at it and saw it's the same structure with little smiley faces put on it. So it's like, mm. no matter what people ask for, for change, these guys are just going to go down. They're not going to go down without a fight. They're not going to even want to go down. And so I've often thought about that. They're going to yeah. let it all burn down. And so when, so when, in reading this and reading this where she's going to, and that's why I was also mentioning that, you know, this idea of what they're thinking isn't just that they're caught in a paradigm. It's that they're, they're essentially, you know, they're, up against this paradigm they're actually confronting a paradigm rather than being caught in it and the choice that they make is yeah they're going to have to burn it all down i like to personally think that's not the option you have to have but i get i think it's so it's such an amazing insight and probably why the book works so well because she has that insight because she can see that every time I, you know, I've talked about this, I call it patriarchal Aikido. Yeah. Whatever you ask for, they're going to give it to you, but flip it so that somehow they're still standing and you're actually the one on the mat on your back. Yeah. So no matter what you do, they find a way to keep themselves for front and center. And I think that's kind of what she's, she's sensing and alluding to as an author. Um, so it is an amazing and frightening um denouement that we see as it yeah. starts to yep. so uh very quickly because you know we're, we're going long on this one but there's just so much to say but uh the framing device so we talked briefly um in part one about the framing device which is that the entire novel is framed as a novel that was written by a man who is a member of the the men writers society and it is and he's sending the manuscript for comments to his um, to his mentor, uh, who is, you know, Naomi Alder Alderman. Um, so she inserts herself into the book in this way that that uh, this is this book was actually written by this guy named Neil, um, but he's sending it to her, Naomi, um, for uh, for feedback and there are several letters back and forth at the end of the book that is, you know, closing out the framing device. Um, and they're wonderful because, you know, Neil says things like, you know, you ask, does history really support the idea that women didn't have skeins before the cataclysm? The answer is yes. Yes, it does. At least you have to ignore a huge raft of archaeological evidence to believe otherwise. This is what I've tried to communicate in my previous history books. But as you know, I don't think anyone wanted to hear it. So, you know, he's complaining about being... Um, discriminated against and not heard by the historical um, structure and framework, scholarly framework, um, because he's suggesting something that's very unpopular with the women in charge. Sound familiar? Yeah. And then, like you know, everything we talk about, exactly. Exactly. And then he's, you know, Naomi says, um, we've talked about this often, how much what it means to be a woman is bound up with strength and not feeling fear or pain about how it's natural that women, because they have children, are the aggressors and the warriors of society. You know, so it's she's just continuing to completely turn everything on its head um, with this reality that she's created that parallels our reality, but is completely um, 
uh, completely flipped. You know, the world is the way it is now because of 5,000 years of ingrained structures of power based on darker times when things were much more violent. And the only important thing was, could you and your kin jolt harder? And then, you know, the piece de resistance, the cherry on top of this Sunday at the very end is, you know, Naomi Alderman says, I've been pondering this all weekend, and I really want to make sure that it reaches the widest possible audience. So I'm going to make a suggestion that I know is going to hurt your feelings, but it's just to give legitimacy to the book. Have you considering publishing this book under a woman's name? Amazing. It's, it's an amazing, amazing work. That everything she's done in terms of the structure and the device, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's just and, brilliant. And again, I um, we'll see how it plays out because you know the the wider world is going to see this as a film, and that's how they're going to engage it. So it'll be interesting. We can just hope. On that note, um, I just want to leave it as is. I don't know if you, anything else. Yeah, I think leave it, leave it with Naomi's words. I mean, you know, we really can't say it better than she did. So yeah. All right. Well, this has been the 34 Cersei Salon, make matriarchy great again. We have been discussing the power. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. And I am Don Sam Alden. And thank you for listening. We will talk again soon. Take care. Take care everyone. And blessed be.